Today on the show, we're talking about redefining retirement. Welcome to the Simple Money Solutions Podcast, where we focus on your money from a Canadian perspective. This podcast is produced weekly and released every Monday. Show notes for every episode can be found at livelifesimple.ca. Now let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, I'm your host Courtney and joined with me today is my co-host Trevor. As mentioned in the introduction, today we're talking about redefining retirement. So Trevor, today's article actually came from one of our listeners. They It was sent to us via our email. So for any listeners out there who, again, if you found an interesting article, something you're passionate about, something you want to share with us, send it our way. We love to hear from you and we'd be more than happy, as like we're doing this this episode, to cover something that interests you. So today's article is called Why Retirement is the Wrong Word to Describe What Life Looks Like for Canadians 55 and Older. It was featured in the Financial Post and it's by Mike Drack and Jonathan Chevreau. And it was, this is a very recent article which underscores the prevalence of this issue today. So Trevor, I'm gonna just launch into reading this article as always. And again, moving moving forward, all these words are again by Mike Drack and Chevreau. Jonathan Chevreau. So beginning the article in both Drac and Chevreau's words, today the word retirement is being widely misused and fails to describe exactly what life looks like for people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. Retirement as we know it today did not exist prior to the industrialization of various Western democracies. People lived on farms, just like on the television show, The Waltons. Farmers didn't retire, and the responsibility of older farmers was to pass on their knowledge and skills to the next generation. In return, the sons and daughters accepted the responsibility to provide care to the elderly, which was payback for their parents raising them. Life was a lot simpler back then. Industrialization and the lure of a better life in cities resulted in people shifting from a life of self-sufficiency to a life of dependency on their employers. This shift came at a cost as a new factory worker gave up a way of life that was in itself satisfying. Trading a life where he was in control for future, he would be a small cog in a large machine. Along with industrialization came the eventual creation of Social Security in the United States. Launched in 1935, Social Security was designed to support the older worker who, on average, didn't have that many years left to live. The viability of Social Security counted on the assumption that the majority of retirees would die within a few years of starting retirement. So everyone had the same goal. You worked hard for 35 years, and then, if you're one of the lucky ones to actually reach the finish line, you could finally stop working and enjoy a few years of passive leisure. We use the term passive leisure here as most people back then were not in in robust enough health to partake in active leisure. So it's easy to see why people would link not working to retirement as it was a natural progression at the time. Stop working equals rocking chair. The literal definition of retire is to withdraw, retreat, to shut oneself away. This definition was an appropriate fit for what was happening at the time. Then a funny thing happened. People started to live longer and they weren't just living longer. They were also living healthier and more active in those later years. People in retirement Retirement is still a perfectly good word, but we need to rein in its usage since its original meaning is no longer all that relevant. So the challenge now is to find a word that is more befitting to that period of time between when people leave their primary career and when they land in the proverbial rocking chair during their later years. From retirement to victory lap, a new stage of living. In this highly influential book first published in 1978, The Three Boxes of Life and How to Get Out of Them by Richard N. Balls described three life stages, education, work, and retirement. 
Each of the three boxes Bowles described was a different size relative to how the typical North American's life was structured at the time the book was written. The biggest box was the work stage and the smallest was the third based on the old definition of retirement, comprising people lucky enough to reach the artificial retirement finish line of 65. The reward for getting to the retirement box was able to sit back and watch the world go by for a couple of years. But instead of a retirement stage lasting a few years, we now are looking at a stage that could last as long as or longer than a person's work stage. We think everyone would agree that's way too long to spend in a rocking chair. And some people might also argue 30 or 40 years is a long time to go without a paycheck. To take into account the effect of increased longevity, it makes sense to insert a new box before the final one. We have chosen to call this new third stage Victory Lab in recognition of the increasingly common reality whereby people, often corporate or government employees, who eventually achieve financial independence, decide to pursue something more meaningful, or at least choose to do the work they do differently. People entering the Victory Lab stage are at a point when many of the primary responsibilities they once had have been eliminated or are down to greatly reduced and manageable levels. Achieving financial independence gives people an opportunity to decide what they to do with their newfound freedom. People now have options, options they haven't had for a very long time. So again, that article was written by Mike Drack and Jonathan Chavreau entitled, Why Retirement is a Wrong Word to Describe What Life Looks Like for Canadians 55 and Older, featured recently in the Financial Post. So Trevor, before we delve into the actual um, nitty-gritty details of the article, what was your overall perception of it? I really uh, was drawn to this article because I'm kind of approaching retirement. I'm, I'm probably 10 years out, but it's it's near and dear to my heart. So I'm very interested in, in the concept. And just the idea of, of retirement, most people I know retire who, who retire, they, they don't just sit around and, and, and grow old. And the ones that do sit around and grow old, they don't live very long. So I think uh, th- this has a, 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 a warning message built into it as well. But you have to agree that the common definition or, or perception of retirement is that described in this article where you do sit around in a rocking chair. Well, that, that's the vision a lot of people see. I, I think retirement is going to change very quickly in the coming decades. It's, it's kind of working at both ends. One is pension plans aren't, aren't what they used to be. So from a need standpoint, retirement's going to have to change because people are going to have to fund their retirement lifestyle through some other means than a traditional pension. As this article says, people are living longer, so you can't expect to work for 30 years and be retired for 35. The, the, the math just doesn't work. Um, later through this article, it does say in the book that was published in 1978 how back in that year there were the three stages. In your life, I mean, 1970 was not that long ago, but in your life, have you seen the transition and the changes within um, the, the retirement realm and, and, and how long people do live and what they do do with their retirement years? I'm not too um, up to date on life expectancy from 1970 to today, but I will say that pension plans have almost evaporated from in the private sector from 1978 to today. And I think this this description of this this fourth box, so you've got education, work life, victory lap, and then retirement. I really like that concept. And when I think of those boxes, I actually sort of visualize where I might live in those now four boxes. So education, I'm a student, I'm living with my parents. Uh, my work life, I have my own place. And in retirement, I might be in a, a retirement or nursing home. So that victory lap, that, that's still a, 
I'm trying to visualize where I might live during that victory lap. Am I going to be somebody who wants to be very mobile and on adventures traveling from country to country or, or different areas within a country? Or do I want to be, uh, you know, move somewhere, maybe away from a big city into a small town or more of a, a vacation area uh, of the country I live in, per- perhaps like I, I live in Ontario, so I might move to Collingwood. There's not a lot of work there, but it, in the summer, it's a great place to be. So uh, when I think of those four boxes, the first thing I visualize is where would I live in those in those times of my life? And to your point, I think it takes the the scariness out of retirement where, where people have spent their whole lives working and they're, they're wondering what comes after. And I don't know what comes after. So I think the victory lap period really adds a level of excitement. You have these years in your life before you do your health does deteriorate. Well, when I talk to people who are, who've retired, there's really only two kinds of people out there. There's the people who they're very uh, depressed and, and miserable about being retired, and then there's the people who who say, "I don't know where I found found time to work. I'm so busy." And I think the people that are so busy, they're they're busy doing things they enjoy or or they like. They're doing the victory lap, and the people that are are miserable or bored or depressed in retirement, they're the ones doing the traditional retirement. Oh, I completely agree. It's all about, again, like everything else, it is what you make it to be. Well, and you need, a, I think, a transition. You can't work uh, flat out 40 hours a week, or some people do 60 or 80 hours a week. You can't do that for 30 years and then stop. It's like hitting a brick wall. It, it, it just shocks the system. You, I, I think transitioning out of that is, is a, a fabulous strategy that I hope to do myself. So I, it brings back the, like we did talk about, um, I think it was last episode, uh, semi-retirement. Yeah, I think semi-retirement is, I think it's even a wrong word because it would suggest that you're going to spend part of your time sitting around doing nothing and part of your time working. I love the term victory lap. It, it just, it has a positive connotation to it. It, it. It's something to look forward to. Definitely. And it re-energizes the, the not so energetic sounding retirement years. Yeah, retirement was sound like your usefulness is, is no longer there. You, you, you're no longer going to contribute to society. You're you're, you're, and like uh, this article said, withdraw to re- retreat to shut oneself down. Those are not those are not positive words. And you know we're social creatures. We need interaction. And a lot of the people that retire and go into seclusion, as a result, they don't interact with people as much. They tend to not live as long. So I think this victory lap, this intermittent working, you, you know, a victory lap could be a form of working steady part time, or it could be working full time intermittently you know, like maybe six months on, six months off. But I think it's important to continue to get that human interaction. That's a phenomenal point you did make about human interaction and the need to be social because we are social creatures. I mean, you spend you spend upwards of 35 years at, at work where you interact with people constantly. And, and to, to hit your system with uh, with a reduced interaction, that's a, that's a lot. So I think that's where you see volunteering coming in, you see community engagement, you see people getting involved because you can't shut out all that socialness off all at once. Well, no, and you also need positive human interaction. So a lot of times, I don't know if you've ever visited a nursing home, it's, it's not the most positive atmosphere. There's a lot of sick old people who are, are very depressed. And I understand why, because it doesn't look like a very appealing place. And they're surrounded by people who feel the same way. I think in a victory, if, if you put yourself in that environment too soon, uh, you're going to go downhill in a hurry. So this victory lap, it would give you a variety of, of interaction. You could interact, like you say, with people who you volunteer with, people that you maybe work with. Uh, maybe you're involved in other clubs and stuff. It, it gives you a, a, a huge variety of inter- human interaction. And back to your point about 
about staying active will keep you healthy. There is, there's been so many studies related to this that optimistic people live longer, that people who are more active live longer. That, and it's true. You can't just. I feel like if you say I'm in retirement, you kind of maybe put yourself into a mindset where you, you kind of a just you admit your future you admit your destiny this is what I'm doing I'm retired I'm just gonna sit here but I think the victory lap like you said really re-energizes that stage of your life and focuses on being active being healthy and and not slowing down well you know I have a job where I sit at a desk eight hours a day when I do go into my victory lap mode one thing I'm going to do for certain is I'm going to find an occupation or an interest or something that does involve not sitting you know so in fact I may be healthier in my victory lap than I am in my later working years. Oh, and to that point, you have maybe people working in environments or that, or like some, you know, working in a dark environment or maybe an environment where there's, they're exposed to a level of toxicity. So again, when you're able to have the freedom to do exactly what you want to do and live your life exactly how you want to live it, you are inevitably probably going to be healthier. One of the things that makes this possible is living within your means and maybe modifying your your current lifestyle to be maybe less of a consumption lifestyle, focus on less expensive things in life or, or more meaningful things. Uh, our website is called Live Life Simple for a reason. I think this is achievable if you a- adapt. And this is adapting and modifying your lifestyle while you're in your working years? Well, I think it starts there. You can't just sort of shut the tap off. If you've developed a taste for driving brand new vehicles every three years, uh, this may not be possible. There's an, an adaptation you might need to make to, to maybe buying every 10 years or, or buying used cars or something. I think this becomes possible earlier in life, a victory lap, as opposed to retirement, uh, by making modifications to your current lifestyle. Definitely. And that ties back to the second paragraph. And I, I want to ask you, your take on this. Because it kind of intertwines with the mentality today, but also contradicts at the same time. And it is, quote, life was a lot simpler back then, end quote. Do you agree with this, this sentiment? Well, they're going way back because they're talking pre-industrialization uh, where people lived on a farm. I think my recollection of anybody that's working on a farm, they tend to stop working when they physically can't anymore. And as a, as a consequence, they do actually retire, meaning they're, they're, no, they're not physically able to make a contribution anymore. I don't know if life was any simpler back then. I would say it was harder back then, and you had less options. But to your point of living more frugally and living more within your means, do you think, do you think that was the same back then? I think people just had less means to work with back then. A lot of people that farm, they do it for the love of farming, not to get rich. Definitely. That's a great point. In the next paragraph, paragraph three, I absolutely love this because I feel like it really does relate to everyone who may not be enjoying their job and do feel this way. And it is, quote, a small cog in a large machine, end quote. And I feel like this is this is so accurate to how a lot of people feel about their jobs. Uh, This kind of rang with me. Uh, Shifting from a a life of self-sufficiency to a life of dependency on employers. That goes back to my thing of living within your means. That's how a victory lap is achieved, I think, in our society today, is to become more self-sufficient and less reliant on your employer or your paycheck. But are we forced to be that way in order to survive as a working professional? You know, funny thing, I was I was listening to another podcast, and uh, it's called The Side Hustle. It's a really good show. I, I would recommend anybody who's thinking of starting a sort of a side business. The, the, the stories on there are fabulous. But uh, the one guy was on there, and he, he was promoting entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. And he was saying a lot of people uh, resist the concept. They say it's very risky. 
You know, being an entrepreneur is, is a very risky lifestyle. And his comment was, you know, he has four or five customers that, that uh, patron his business. And if one of those customers left, well, he'd have to go find another one. So there's some risk there. But the, the person he was talking to was an employee of a corporation. And so this guy had five sources of income to his entrepreneurial business. That employee had one source of income. So who, who's, who's at, at, at greater risk or who's less self-sufficient? You know, that employee is, if you think about it conceptually, all your eggs are in one basket. And a, a lot of times, if you're an entrepreneur, you, you can sort of see, you, you have the vision of the business, if the business is going to be falling on hard times in the near future. As an employee, a lot of times you're blind to that. You know, you, you, you could get laid off tomorrow and not even know why, depending if your role in that organization. Uh, being self-sufficient uh a side hustle is a good way to do a victory lap is I guess where I'm going with that. That is an absolutely amazing point. How the one versus many employers. And I, I think, I think it's easy to forget about just because in a sense, many employer like being employed by many people, it does seem a little bit more riskier, but again, is it any more riskier than being one employer who if they don't want you anymore, you're gone. Well, and I, I think the victory lap could be a couple of part-time jobs. You know, that, that could be a victory lap. You might make less money, but they might be more engaging to occupations and less risky. You know, you, it may bring some uh, stability to your, your income stream. Oh, for sure. I truly believe millennials, we talked about this before, but they're not going to get just one job. They're going to have multiple jobs. And part of that's going to be just protection against job loss. They're going to get burned having one job and getting laid off and then you know, going through a drought of, of no income, the evolution is going to be, I can't afford to just have one job. No, um, I just think we'll look back at, at the, the times of one job and we will shake our heads and be like, how did people survive? Yeah, how did they do that? It, it, it's going to, we'll look back and say that was so risky. But yeah. you know, if you go back far enough, uh, people worked one job for 35 years and retired. Uh, those days are gone, of course, with the world economy. We talked about them in previous shows. But maybe this victory lap concept, maybe that's just going to become a way of life. You know, it won't, it's going to be education, victory lap, retirement. You know, I mean, may, may, just and when I say victory lap, working multiple jobs, working intermittently, sort of being uh, taking little retirements throughout your working career. And being engaged in passionate jobs that you maybe enjoy. And I think I think that that you, that's an excellent point, Trevor. I really like that point because I feel like there's a misconception that slug it out through your working years and retirement aka now we're calling it victory lap is a time when it's time to have fun it's time to enjoy yourself but we all know you're i don't want to sound like a cliche here but life is too short well you know here, here's a uh, i'll paint a picture you you work for 10 years uh at a couple of part-time jobs and then maybe you just work one of those jobs for five years and you enjoy a bit of life on the side and then then another 10-year period you work uh three jobs and then maybe for five years, you just work one job and, and you sort of your life has these peaks and valleys and maybe you, you get in more enjoyment out of your life at a younger age. And I, I think, so I think that is important. And I think that comes along in getting more enjoyment at a younger age. I think pe- we are seeing that with, with um, people taking on. Well, in our last show, we, we, they was titled uh, Canada's Temporary Employment. And it, it, that may happen because full-time jobs just are not being offered so this victory lap concept this i may be the last generation that sort of entertains the concept of victory lap because generations following 
they, they won't have uh, permanent full-time jobs. They work for 30 years. And I think that whole shift will have such amazing positive impacts on society as a whole. We'll have a happier society, a society is more satisfied, decreased depression, anxiety. I think, I think this is a wholesale positive shift. Well, it will, but if that generation it keeps trying to chase that permanent one permanent full-time job for 30 years and never finds it, those people will be unsatisfied and maybe depressed. But I think if they if they spin it around and see a positive a positive angle on, on part-time work and it, maybe uh, that that's the the key. And to that point, I think by stating right here on the show today that having multiple jobs, not getting a, a maybe a guaranteed uh, ret- retirement package. I don't think we are we're shift, we're we're phrasing that in a way that tr- is trying to put a paint a paint a nice rainbow on a on a sheet. I think we're actually I think that's genuinely the way to look at it. Just say you had two jobs. One was very interesting and engaging and the other one maybe less so but paid more money. You might find a balance, a life balance in there. For sure, but I just love in general how the focus is turning more towards enjoying your life, enjoying each day. And I think that's important. Uh, so Trevor, moving through the article, um, I do want to touch on how the new stage of living, do you think your parents back when they started working looked at, at the stage of living in victory lap in the same way? No, they definitely had the uh, 30 years and retire. That My parents retired with uh, traditional pensions and uh, in order to earn that pension, they had to actually put in the 35 years uh, to get it. So that, that, that carrot was in front of them that they, they had to chase. And moving moving to, it's near the bottom, but they talk about, quote, the artificial retirement finish line of 65, end quote. So Trevor, where did this age of 65 come from? Because in my opinion, that's really early. Well, it was legislated at one time that you had to retire at 65. And I know uh, Canada Pension uh, is, you can collect it as early as 60, but it, it's, it's sort of calculated as if everyone was going to collect it at 65. Uh, I guess at one time, I mean, I remember 65-year-old people uh, seeming really, really old and uh, maybe physically incapable of of being productive. But today, uh, that is not the case. I, I know I work with people who are in their 70s and just as sharp as whips and uh, lots of energy. So, it, I mean, if you live a healthy a healthy lifestyle, I, I think 65 is a, is, a, is a really young age to retire. I mean, I hope to leave my corporate full-time job at 55, but in no way am I going to stop working. I'm probably going to work well into my 70s at something interesting and engaging. At 65 just seems way too young to me. And I want to tie that point all the way back to one of our main points is don't acquire debt, live below your means, because because you do live below your means, you are able to leave that corporate job and find something else more enjoyable. Yeah, I mean... Victory laps are uh, just a dream if you're living beyond your means uh, while you're working and just racking up debt. Even if you have a pension, you don't want to be making mortgage payments and, and with your pension check. It, it just it, The math just won't work. Would you argue that people who do live in debt, who are approaching that artificial retirement finish line of 65, maybe are unhappy because they have no other option, they have to stay in that job in order to pay off their debt? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, if you... If you have a, 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 a steep mortgage payment and uh, no traditional pension, your options are very limited. I mean, I mean you're working. And, and fortunate for those people is they're not, the, the laws have changed. They don't have to retire at 65. But, I mean, I know people that are, are working, again, 
I, I mentioned people work until their 70s are sharp with whips. I don't necessarily know their personal story. Are they, are they there because they have to be or they're there because they want to be? There's a big difference. Yeah, that's a phenomenal point. I mean, in a, in a corporate environment, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of people are there because they have to be. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the greatest atmosphere, at least where I, I am. It's, it's, it's not the, it's okay, but I mean, it's, I can think of a, every morning I can usually come up with 10 places I'd rather be. <laughs> so you could argue then that the idea of the victory lap is only attainable or it can only present as an option to people when when they when they have the means to to take on that lifestyle yeah you know personal we i, I like to simplify personal finance and i i call it 80 percent uh uh behavior 20 percent knowledge i've said that before but you know to just put some more color around that personal finance is spending less than you earn and investing the difference i mean that, that i love that i love that that's a great that's a great little quote and if you if you live by that, uh, I would think uh, early retirement or victory laps. I got to stop saying that word. Victory lap is very attainable. You, you just have to. I read an article, and a guy said, you know, faced with the choice of uh, a fifty-eight thousand dollar truck payment over eight years or a bicycle, my only question would be, what color do the bicycles come in? You, that's that's amazing. You you have to make forward thinking decisions. And when you acquire debt, all you're doing is strategizing how to how to deal with previous decisions. You know, you're you're never thinking into the future. You're when when you're when you're looking at your budget or, or analyzing your finances. If you have a lot of debt, all your focus is on on dealing with with your previous actions, not your future actions. And back to your point too on making sacrifices while you're working in order to uh, to adjust your lifestyle so that you can reach that victory lap. I think there's so much validity in short-term sacrifices for long-term gain. Well, and, you know, just if you use the word sacrifice, you're probably looking at it the wrong way. There's a concept out there called minimalism, and it's not about depriving yourself of things, but it's about focusing on the things that are important. So another thing, it rings true with me all the time, you can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. So focus is a, is a great tool for living within your means. Focus on self-discipline, I'd say, too. I mean, self-discipline can, can benefit you in all aspects of life, but uh, particularly in personal finance. Trevor, in the moving down through the article, we're in the second last paragraph here, and it says, and this really, I think, resonates with your philosophy, quote, whereby people who eventually achieve financial independence decide to pursue something more meaningful or at least choose to do the work they do differently, end quote. So, how do you, how, what do you hope to do in your victory lap period that you're unable to do now? Well, I, I work in corporate finance and I've been doing that for quite a while. So corporate finance is you're in a very supporting role, meaning you're supporting the business's activities by providing financial information about, about what they do. So if you're in a manufacturing company and you work in finance, you're not manufacturing product, but you're providing support to the manufacturing operation by analyzing financial information. I really want to work in the core of, of a business. If it's a tech company, I'd like to work in the sort of in the tech aspect of it. If it's a, a sales company, I'd love to work in the sales part of the organization rather than a supporting role. So that's very vague, but that's kind of what, what I would do differently. And Trevor, in your mind, since 
since maybe you're younger and you begin work, have you always conceptualized the period of post-working in a vector lot manner or, or, or was it more retirement and how has your, you shifted since? I've always looked at it as retirement, just stop working. I just recently, it ever dawned on me that I, I could actually like what I do for a living. I've been doing what I do for so long and, and, and not liking it. The thought of earning money, doing something I like, had just evaporated out of my mind. The concept, it had been beaten out of me uh, over the years. And it's just recently, as I'm looking for potential victory lap opportunities, that it's dawned on me that, hey, wait, I, I could make money and actually enjoy myself doing it. And Trevor, where did this initial notion come from when you began work that, you know what, if I don't like my job, I'm going to suck it up and just work it out and then I'll be in retirement. Like where, where did that, where did you, where did that thought process come from originally? Well, I was so focused on um, paying my bills that I really was just, when I looked for a job, the, the first criteria was how much does it pay? And as long as that is your motivating factor for uh, choosing a job, chances, most of those jobs are not going to sound appealing. You know, I, I would look at a job and say, well, you know, if that probably doesn't pay that much, or I, uh, I might go for an interview and find out what they pay and say, oh, it doesn't pay enough. When you live within your means, you're willing to adjust your lifestyle and you focus on the work and be willing to accept the, the lifestyle that income delivers. I, I think that's when you start thinking about, what I, you know, I, I'm going to choose work I like rather than the work that covers my bills. What do you say, though, that mentality of how much does this job make when you go to every interview is a reflection of being young and being and needing to afford things, this mentality that you, you took on when you were younger, do you think it's changed because you're now financially independent? It's twofold. One is, is I've, I've applied focus to my life, going back to I can have anything I want, just not everything I want. So now that I've applied focus and, and I've really defined things that are important to me, then it has also reduced the amount of money I, I need to support that lifestyle. So it's kind of twofold is one, I've accumulated some wealth over the years and two, I became more focused. So my, my need for my constant need to, to fund interests and, and activities is diminished. And I'm sure uh, many of our listeners out there maybe lack this focus too. So Trevor, how did you develop this focus and this change mentality about, about how you think now? Well, I guess the years of working in corporate finance have worn me down and um, searching for a, an escape or a way out and earning more money wasn't doing it. So I, I, I just kept reevaluating what's important to me. And uh, probably it could be, you know, maybe a midlife crisis. I, I don't know, but I, I, I've evolved from uh, wanting more to wanting to enjoy life. Trevor, what advice do you have for people who are working in corporate jobs who maybe aren't really enjoying what they're doing? I mean, if you have a written budget, I would look at the, where my money's going and say, are those things really important to me? So if I'm making a $750 car payment every month, uh, how much value is that car adding to my life? Or if I'm living in a, a 2,500 square foot home with a bunch of empty rooms, how much value is that really adding to my life? So, I mean, if you just ask yourself, what kind of value? And when I say value, I'm not talking monetary. You know, on a day-to-day -day basis, how much joy does does that $750 car payment bring to you? And if it brings a lot, then you probably should keep making that payment and keep driving that vehicle. And if, if living in a, a really big home defines you and makes you feel great every day, then going to work shouldn't seem like that much effort to, to earn the money to pay for it. So it's really 
again, it's the focus is, is, is the things that you're paying for really adding joy and, and value to your life. That is absolutely, I think that is definitely the quote of this episode. I think that is such great advice that if people apply to their lives, they probably would be satisfied because I think there is that notion that these are the things you should want in life. These are the things that you should save for. These are the things, these are the things that should happen. And I think, again, there's nothing wrong with wanting that really expensive vehicle or that large house. And I feel like people shouldn't be ashamed of wanting these things or, or putting priorities in a different order than someone else. Well, you know, when I look back over the course of my life, the experiences that I paid for tend to resonate more with me over time than the things I acquired, the, the, the tangible things that I bought. Once you introduce a new gadget in your life, it's exciting for a very short period of time, and then it just becomes part of your day-to-day life. Whereas an experience, it stays in your memory for, you know, if it was maybe forever, uh, you, you hold on to experiences and you, you look back at them fondly. A lot of people get caught up with, they want to be able to have a tangible, when they spend money, they want something tangible for it. They want to they wanna be able to hold it or touch it or drive it. Or, and I think if people focused on spending money on experiences and, and less on stuff, and we, we become less of a, a consumer-driven society. Do you come from a background where you did place importance on materialistic objects, though? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that's how I can come to this revelation now is uh, I, I'm looking back and I, I'm, I struggle to remember all the gadgets and, and, and things I've bought. And, and, but, but the experiences I had, like when vacations we went on, they, they, they stay with, with me all the time. So you don't necessarily condone consumerism or wanting materialistic things. You just advocate for looking beyond that and looking at alternative ways to satisfy your needs. I think you really need to just focus on on needs as opposed to wants and be able to define them. One one person's uh, want is very well somebody else's need. I mean, they're they're not black and white. If you focus satisfying needs as opposed to wants, your money will go further. I I, I think it, it, it just, it requires more focus. It'll just, life will be more satisfying. Trevor, if you could go back to your 20-year-old self, with everything that you've learned now and with the idea of uh, of the victory lap and and what you would do in a victory lap what what would you tell yourself or what would you do differently would you be in the corporate job that you are today or would you take a different path or or was the money was the money that you made within those corporate jobs important and necessary you know i i think i would have pursued the same career option and, and done this job because I was fascinated by it at a younger age, and I did find it interesting in the beginning. I think I've just been I've been doing it for too long. Uh, I need a change. So I, I truly believe I would have pursued the same education, the same job, and there was a time I really enjoyed it, but I, I've just been doing it for too long. Do you think a lot of people feel that way then, that the victory lap would be their chance for revival, their chance to ignite passions inside them that maybe have faded due to the strenuous working career that they've had? If they've been doing the same thing for 30 years that, that, or even 25 years, it's probably too long. I, I think variety is, uh, it, it, it'll keep you young. It'll keep you engaged. I think doing the same thing for 30 years is probably unhealthy mentally. Do you think that is some of the motivation behind the shift to having multiple jobs and not maintaining the same job over the full course of your working career? Well, I don't know if that shift has really happened yet because like based on our last show, uh, people seem to be still be chasing like their people are 
are not satisfied with temporary employment based on on, on last week's show. So, so I think people want they they still haven't made that shift. But I I think if they did, it, they 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 might see the the positive side of it. But we did say that the shift to multiple jobs and not maintaining the same job over your working career is what is happening. So people do and should adjust to that and learn to like that type of employment. Well, if you embrace it, I mean, if and, and put a positive spin on it, like like we have sort of been suggesting here, I, I think it's an easy transition then. Trevor, before we wrap up this episode, do you have any final simple money solution takeaways for this episode? Yeah, I think everybody should consider a victory lap as part of their life plan and begin that planning process by living within your means. Well said, Trevor. And that is it for this episode. Thank you for listening. And please be sure to check out the show notes at livelifesimple.ca. Again, if you want to reach out to us at any time by providing us with content that you find interesting to suggest a future episode topic, and even just tell us what you like and don't like about this episode, you can always reach us through all of our social media platforms and our email. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes and give us a rating. It really helps us know what our listeners want to hear about. Until next week, keep it simple.